This episode is brought to you by Bumper.com. Buying a car doesn't have to be so intimidating. Bumper.com is here for you, the buyers. With just a few clicks, it can help give you a comprehensive vehicle report that highlights any red flags. So wherever you're buying a car from, whether it's a dealership or a used marketplace, you can go in knowing Bumper.com has your back. Make your car buying experience smoother and smarter. Check out Bumper.com slash podcast. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, Stan. What up, bro? Hey. Is this going to be a cool episode? Yeah, it's always a cool episode when I there's think Marshall we should, here. We should get into the cool episode. Oh, thank God. Why do you have to make me sound like a little girl? <laughs> did I make you sound like a little girl? Yeah, you did your sexy voice. Oh, well. Uh, hey. <laughs> that's, that's good. Have you ever seen David Lynch's admonishment to people about watching movies on their iPhone? He gets so mad. Watching movies on their iPhone? Oh, you've had it's only 30 seconds. They think that they've seen the movie, but they haven't. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of true. It's, oh, but it's the way smallest. he puts it is just beautiful. Now, if you're playing the movie on a telephone, you will never in a trillion years experience the film. You'll think you have experienced it, but you'll be <clears throat> cheated. It's a, such a sadness that you think you've seen a film on your telephone. Get real. I show it at the beginning of any class where we're going to watch movies. Okay. So don't watch it on your phone. Don't. Yeah. Don't watch it. Turn the lights off. Fill your field of vision. Yeah. Enjoy it the way it was meant to be. Yeah. Build an, an IMAX theater in your house. Yeah. And really enjoy it the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. You had something you were going to tell me. Oh, like I, yeah. I, this little, little guy over here reminded me of a thing I watched the other night. Tell me. The Netflix special about Bob Ross. I haven't heard anything about you haven't even it heard except for about you it. mentioning it. Man. Okay. Well, I think it came out like a week ago. Mm -hmm. um, when this episode comes out, it'll be probably like two months old. <laughs> so everybody will be done talking about it. Essentially, Bob Ross Inc. has always been run by the Kowalski family. When he was alive, it was half and half. Bob Ross and his wife shared ownership with the Kowalski mm -hmm. wife and husband or whatever. But then when uh, his wife died, Bob Ross lost control, lost voting power, and they basically just began controlling everything. Then Bob Ross died of cancer suddenly. And then he, I guess, left a, like a, I guess it was a will? I don't know what it was, but it was like a document that said he wants his son to get 49% of the IP and um, his brother? I don't know who it was, uh, to get 51. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I guess the Kowalskis 
somehow got control of it and took the whole thing away from his son. Really? And so now, basically, the his son is like the main character telling this whole story about how he got how he got screwed by the Kowalskis. But it's they had the law on their side because it, they just had the Kowalskis had the. the I law think on their they side. settled somehow with um, his uncle, huh? Who got fifty one, and he signed away ownership. Wow. Um, but I don't, nobody knows really what happened behind the scenes of why he did that. Hmm. But it, it's but, ended up being a bad thing for the Bob Ross legacy. Bob Ross Inc. Bob Ross Inc. Yes. For the current, uh, people are currently in control of the company. It didn't, it doesn't make Bob Ross look bad. It just makes you feel really bad for him. <laughs> because his dying wishes were not honored. Yeah. And they told, they really made his like dying you know his day his last days like they made you feel it because he's died of cancer he was yeah. like 80 pounds wow at the end of it um and his son was there taking care of him and all that stuff and then they, they do a good job telling the story and making you think like god f these guys <laughs> does it make people want to uh punish the Kowalski. Oh yeah, that's what everyone's been doing. I the first thing I did was I went on to Bob Ross Inc. Instagram uh -huh. to see <laughs> to yeah. see what's happening. And yeah, it's basically thousands of comments. Just every single comment on their posts are just like, give the company back to your, his yeah. son. That's what he wanted. Blah blah blah. Like, it, yeah. Any speculation as to what will come of it? Because sometimes people who will do things like that don't care yeah, at they all probably what public care. opinion is. They just figure, hey, I got away with it. They did uh, release a public statement, um, basically denying a lot of it, that it's one-sided. Um, they, they did reject being in the document. That's right. They wouldn't get, they said it's one-sided, but they were invited to give their side. They, and they were. Yeah. They said that they didn't know it was going to be on Netflix. <laughs> 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 yeah. Now that's funny how that sounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We didn't know that <laughs> this was going to cause us a PR problem. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, what could be good that could come out of this? I could imagine people uh, just figuring, we'll just violate the, uh, we'll just take this stuff and make it so that it's all anti, uh, make it all uh, satire and comedy and repackage it in ways that could be kind of a revenge move. Against who? Against the Kowalskis. I mean, oh, it, it, it seems probably. Like I, I'm sure there's a lot of people so pissed that they're trying putting to their stuff. creativity into saying, "How can we create justice if the law doesn't let us do it? How can we do the vigilante justice thing?" You know. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, sucks. It's a good documentary. I'd watch it. It makes. Wait, is this made by Bob? <laughs> Shit. Uh, I mean, it's got the Bob Ross trademark on it. Basically, I think Bob Ross Inc. sold a, a license to Kid Robot to make this. So, yeah. Okay, Bob so Ross another, Inc. is profiting from this. Another story <laughs> of injustice. <laughs> I'm supporting it. <laughs> I got this as a gift. I didn't pay for it. It's <laughs> true. It's not my fault. Yeah. No, it's true. I, I inherited these alligator shoes. I have never supported Bob Ross with my money. <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> anyway, that's that. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear it. Yeah, sucks. Maybe we should move on to something more positive. We'll Any see. Good? We'll see what kind of voicemails we got. Oh, that's right. Because uh, the voicemails we get, this may be the last voicemails episode that we do. <laughs> Why do you say that? 
Well, because uh, we've done, this will be our fourth one, or is it our fifth one? Fifth. It's our fifth one. Five out of 35? Mm. Mm. That's a good proportion of voicemail, and we want to see if these are really good voicemails, whether it gets us charged up to say, yeah, more voicemails, or <laughs> the other thing. Or the other thing, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, let's crack open the voicemails. All right, Charlie. Crack go. it open. Make it loud. Hey, Marshall and Stan. I'm a guy that has a BS degree. I'm an amateur artist. Um, been working in the business field for a long time. And I want to get into animation that can maybe lead to something more one day. I'm taking your advice on doing the art school as a project shows. So now I'm taking John Pomeroy's new animation classes online uh, to start with. Um, with that, after that, I plan to do Aaron Blaze's courses and more Proco courses. So my question, I think, is once I've become more pretty proficient in animation, say a year from now or whatever, um, what do you think would be good for my next steps or perspective to have um, to maybe even turning it into a career of sorts, you know, whatever? Thanks so much. The question is, how do I get a job in animation? <laughs> yeah, that's really what it is. Once I've gotten good at it, how do I get known or employed? Okay. Well, if you get the good and good at it out of the way, assuming you're good at it, start building your portfolio. And this is a We've, this is a great big marketing question. Is it a marketing question? How do I get my good wares to market so that someone oh, will I, hire me yeah. to do it or a, a number of patrons? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you're probably going to have to figure out who you want to work for and tailor your tailor your portfolio towards that specific company or studio. If you're applying to Cartoon Network, your portfolio should probably look different than if you're applying to Pixar. Right. So you you have to decide. You don't just you you don't submit your student work. You don't apply to a job with your student work is what I'm saying. That's one mistake a lot of people make that I also made. But you did get a job in animation when you showed your student work, did you not? No, I had an internship. You had an internship, okay, yeah, but that was uh, start, but that was all because of my high school teacher. Okay, her friend was the president of Sony Online. Okay, yeah, <laughs> and Sony Online was in in San Diego, and and she they didn't even have an internship program, but she was like, hey, you want to start an internship program? We got a student who's interested. <laughs> There's your answer. Your, your, answer. your, your network. Your, yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. You're right. That is the answer. Isn't that just a revelation? <laughs> it's not the portfolio. <laughs> the portfolio. No people. When you get good at your craft, <laughs> you want to be networking and getting your work out there and connecting somehow. This. Uh, what can I tell you? Go to the go to the conventions where animators are busy. Put your stuff on the internet. I think we've mentioned in here that when 2007, 2008, the Pixar people did a whole day up in LA of what it's like a to be at day, Pixar. Man. A whole day. My yeah. God. I know. How did they survive? <laughs> but, well, I mean, it was, there were a number of workshops and that kind of thing. Okay. But that was when YouTube was brand new, maybe. Uh, is, you know... They said, we spent a lot of time looking at animation <laughs> on, Sorry, on the internet. I'm just, thoughts in my head. Go ahead. Just a, like a reality show, a whole day in LA, like who can survive the longest? <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but it was it's all like, interesting stuff. It's like Bear Grylls style. Uh, you a are trying, you are trying to get seen by people who can hire you. <laughs> 
that's a big question. Get seen by people who will hire you. And I don't, I, I don't know how to answer this question. Do you? I think we just did. Yeah. Get good with your, make a good portfolio that's specific to the job you're trying to get. Mm-hmm. And before that, start building your network. So that once you do have a portfolio, it's really easy to get that portfolio seen by the right people. Mm-hmm. Next. All right. This one was a response to the Strengths Finder episode. You guys spent, what, like an hour talking about how to find out what you're good and what you're bad at. And you guys made it way too complicated. <laughs> you don't really need to take a personality test to figure out what you're good at, especially with, like, drawing or find out what you enjoy. With, like, step one, draw something. Step two, smoke some weed. Step three, look at what you drew for about 20 minutes. And if your mistakes don't scream at you, and you just scream in your face, like, I don't know how it wouldn't be obvious. <laughs> You're smoking some weed. Wait, I'm, I'm losing. I, I can't even hear. You figure out what the f*** you did at real fast, and what you're not. It, it's not as simple as that. I don't know what else to say. You really need how to much weed does he smoke? Just look at what you're drawing. A lot. Look at it with a critical eye. It ain't complicated. You don't need a personality test. Just look at what you draw. I can agree with him, man. Marshall, you overcomplicated this. Oh my god. How many wait, how many bleeps do you um take a guess? How many bleeps will it take to get through that? I you know, I don't know, but I'm trying to Thir- get at the question. There were a whole lot of them. Thirteen. Yeah. I'm guessing thirteen. But it was because I I overcomplicated by trying to address personality strengths instead of just looking at the art and saying yes or no is that the idea i, I missed like half of that because but, he was slurring because yeah well this is an argument he's if, figured it, out too much about his life yeah if if, if what if you're saying hear. what i think you're saying what you're saying is just shut up stop <laughs> answering questions that are not useful and just let us do our artwork and show it now am i picking up the right i thing? think that's that's the yeah, vibe i got stop talking so much about things like like strength and networking and on just do the work i that's, well i'm not sure i mean i don't know i, I, I feel I'm like the sure networking part is actually was. really useful but it seemed funny that the, i get the personality really very emotionally involved in the fact that that they answer questions too complicatedly. No, that one, I, I do agree with. I think he has a point. I understand. Like, after you you did that episode. The strengths episode? Yes. Yeah. I didn't go back and figure try to figure out my like, strengths and try to, like, mm-hmm. take the personality test. Mm-hmm. I, you know. <laughs> like, I, I, and I, th- I don't think I will. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think yeah, life. You're will... also in motion. You're, you're, you're doing your profession. You're in motion. You're not trying to find yourself. I, I guess that's true. I mean, I did take a personality test when I was younger. I mean, I didn't pay for it. I was like going through that book. What is it? it? Strength Finder? No, the other one. The Myers-Briggs. LGBTQ. <laughs> what is it? What's the book? The I'm an HS the, uh, yeah, uh, David Kiersey's Please Understand Me or the Myers Briggs uh, type temperament yeah. types or, or yeah, I, t- I got the S E X Y personality I, type. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You don't know that one. But anyway, go ahead. Though. So you did it a long time ago. Yeah, but yeah well, you're, it's you're, the Myers Bridge. Yes, yeah, Myers Bridge, and I got the S E X Y. Yeah. 
Well, if those things aren't, if those things are not useful to you, he's still just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the most interesting and entertaining thing about you is that you are so emotionally involved in this. There must be. I don't know, some personal wound or, or something? No, <laughs> dude, he smoked too much weed. That must be it. Or you're just that personality type. And what you might do is look to the opposite type and see if you can balance yourself. I don't know how to answer this. I think, okay, I think it is useful to try to figure out your personality and learn about yourself. I know it that is. is. That is extremely good for your yeah. life to, to know who you are what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and what you got to watch out for. Like, this is, you know, that that's life. That, that's how you navigate. But a personality test, I don't think is necessary to know yourself. And you I, I never, ever espoused that a personality test was necessary. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, I don't yourself. think he did. Yeah. And I think that's probably, that's what he's saying. But yeah, that, that, um, that's... I think life, you can learn more about yourself through life and through just like critical thinking and self-analysis. And But and just it, the fact that you've got that strong of feelings about it shows that you are, <laughs> you are Hi. a personality type. <laughs> that can be turned into a very good song. <laughs> You mean a very bad song? No, no, to take that and Songify sample it and, and because there's so much emotional energy in some of those statements and to repeat them as riffs could really be powerful. I think it could, it could oh, be a one of those songs. Song. Yeah. It could be a fun song. <laughs> okay. Hi there, this is Mike calling from Richmond, British Columbia. Long time listener, first time caller, obviously. Following up on the uh, discussion about the uh, great course on performance and deliberate practice. I would really love if Marshall could do some more discussion about that, give some specific measurable uh, ideas about what does he mean by, for what does deliberate practice mean to Marshall as far as drawing and painting is concerned, especially in a case where you can't have uh, immediate feedback like you would in an athletic situation where you would have a coach looking at your golf swing or your free throw. I would really like some more follow-up on that, and uh, I really appreciate any comments you have. Thanks. Bye. I don't know that I have anything more to say. The, the specifics for what you're working on are the specifics for what you're working on. And it, the closest we got here was for drawing, drawing and painting, uh, drafting exercises, and those would be things like aiming a line at a vanishing point. Those would be things like solving perspective problems. Those would be things like what the Proco course does with anatomy, where you're doing overlays to place the muscles on things. Those would be things like putting cross contours around them and having someone else who's doing that and looking at it and navigating together. All of the stuff that you find in any assignment, any good assignment, from a teacher who's thought through their assignments is deliberate practice. My goodness, you're asking this question. I've just spent the last 24 weeks doing this with a, a battery of assignments for composition students where you've got analysis of master compositions and trying over and over to find how the eye moves through a masterwork by looking away and then looking at it and seeing what do you look at first. That's a deliberate practice of noticing how an how your eye moves through and how it might do it differently when you do it more than once. And then when you're working on your own compositions, noticing that, consciously noticing it. Uh, every good assignment, every good exercise, every good project 
just say, this is my deliberate practice, and then use your creativity to see if there's a way you can make it a little harder or make it a little easier. But this is asking someone else to do all the creativity for you in designing the assignments. And I don't know that I can do any better than I've done. I feel like in the last couple, two, three years, in my classes, the assignments I've given my students are assignments I feel really strongly about. I feel like the assignments Stan gave, gives in his courses are really well designed. So you, I think, are might be asking something that is, is uh, trying to take the responsibility off your job of actually doing the work. Do you have anything to add to it? I would say if you haven't read the talent code yet, that's probably the one to go to. I mean, we just did an episode. I don't want to go over it again, but I mean, it, deliberate practice isn't just about getting feedback. It's about, it's, it's, it could also just be about like choosing specifically what to practice on and how to practice it. Um, not necessarily getting feedback from an instructor. Um, and the big difference there is like, it's not enough to just go through the motions of practicing. You can just pick up a sketchbook and sketch for an hour every day and you will get better, but you'll get better way faster if you spend that hour deliberately trying to get better. And at a specific thing. At a very specific yes. little part of right. the big part thing right. that you're trying to get good at. And so you have to think about it. Like, okay, what, what do I need to get better at? within drawing or painting or whatever why how thinking about these things and everyone will have their own solutions because everybody's a different person and everyone's got you know different interests and different ways of learning and all that stuff but and different resources available to them but just the the fact that you're thinking about how why all that versus just i'm gonna spend an hour practicing um is deep focus um and that's gonna increase the speed quite a bit i would throw one thing in here and it is what we've mentioned before slowing down and speeding up mm -hmm. uh it's most obvious with a musical performer uh or with actors you know i think i, yeah, I mean we we yeah, talked, we talked so about much it. about that this was yeah. like two episodes ago in in that's in pen and ink with arthur guptill's uh, he has you do a stroke slowly, but you also do strokes rapidly. Hey, make it up. Design your own deep practice for what you need to work on. Mm -hmm. Shall we? Hey guys, my name is Sean. I'm a big fan of your show. Um, I just wanted to ask if you guys had any anecdotes um, that were particularly meaningful to you about students. Um, any experiences that stood out as really influential um, parts of your career where you got to to give someone a, you know, a really valuable art education. Thanks. Big general question. Yeah. yeah. Anecdotes, an meaningful anecdotes about students. Give me 30 seconds and see if there's anything worth talking about that I haven't... Stop staring at me. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. Start, Let me start, start that clock over again, because that was... Yeah, that, that was not fair. Let me look up into the... <laughs> not light. fair. Now you can't look that far away from me. 
There, that's gonna look better. Stop looking at me! <laughs> well, that was useless. Nope, nothing. Hey, I got something I can mention not about a specific student, but a specific kind of student. I have had my richest students, the ones who've had the most successful careers, who have uh, flunked out of school. Maybe that's not a good thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> flunked out of school, so... Not good academically, but they're creative. But they that, like they what? don't. That's because they are not that concerned with being that good academically. They're concerned with how am I going to get into the, my career and school. Mm. It isn't taking me where I want to go. I'm going to go elsewhere. And I've seen it happen over and over to where it's kind of a trend. But it does not mean that if you flunk out of school, you're going to have a career. I feel like it's more about creating your own path versus fitting into a system. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. But I have seen also that some students. Who do very well in school okay. also do very well in their careers. Well, because they so, know how to they, they know, know how, how to navigate that system. That's right. Yeah. So there's yeah, lots of anecdotes about that, but there's the big theme. What's that? I like that one. Good. We keep it in. Yeah. We, well, now I have to say one. Oh sure. God what, damn what it. Do you, what do you see about a? Uh, I don't a know. I just get you. I, I got thirty seconds. I got nothing. I'll I'll look I'll look in in a few different directions and not smile. Ah, <laughs> uh, can you give me one of yours? <laughs> Well, let's see, is there an opposite theme that it's like a, the students, some students who don't do well in school, but do very well in their careers. That was There is one of, okay, talk, okay, talent code. Let, let's, or not talent code, but just talent in general. And this is one that I got from Eric. He said it a lot and I, I, I found it to be very true, um, which is that it's not always good to be talented because if it comes naturally to you, then you don't work as hard to get it. And so then when things get really tough and serious in your career, you don't have the discipline or that, uh, the habit of working hard to get, you know, to, to overcome issues or whatever, solving mistakes. But if it, you had to really work for it because you didn't naturally have it, well, you're, you're going to do better because you're, you're going to work hard. Yeah. But, I don't know. Is this talent, a good one? I don't know. I feel like yeah, but you, we said that in our first season. You know, that's the one of the yeah. things that came up. It was about the well. The, then pay attention. The, the tree that has roots that if it's too it's too uh, often watered, it doesn't have to dig down. And if it's it's a little harder, yeah, for the tree right. to get, yeah, yeah. So that uh, so well, let's the, those were pretty like big, broad, general ones. Okay, do you have like. Uh, specific incidents that maybe weren't like big meaningful things but were like just fun things that happen uh, while being a teacher or just fun things that they don't they're not teaching you a lesson it's just a fun thing that happened yeah yeah like a fun story i had a student who seemed so crazy because i would give a lecture about how editors think of uh, making shots go together and making them contrast and how it's a process. And after I made this thing using examples, he said, there's a pause. He said, any questions? He said, well, uh, what about an embryo? <laughs> and I'm looking around to figure, how does that relate? And I said, what, do you want to elaborate? And then he elaborated in a way that in embryo, you can't tell what kind of a baby it's going to be. He, he made some connection that seemed crazy, but it was actually a brilliant connection. And he did that, once he did it once, there were some times where he'd take us off track, 
but other times where he would add something in there that would create tension and he was seeing a connection that would enlighten everybody's minds. That can happen. <laughs> and it, also, it became enjoyable because as soon as something was going to come out of his mouth, the next thing was, all right, elaborate. And we'd come out <laughs> Okay. No one's on, on that same page with you. Yeah. But if he got us onto the page, we'd come out smarter. Yeah. Hi, my name is Raj. Loving your guys' podcast. Um, my question is, um, as an aspiring comic book artist, one of the things I struggle with the most um, is creating environments and creating backgrounds. And I was wondering if you guys had any resources, books, um, online tools that you would recommend uh, for someone trying to really get better at backgrounds and environments. Um, thank you. Love the show. Um, hope to hear from you soon. Well, this is yours, man. This is now, about composition, perspective. Yeah. What else? Uh, those two things, world building, <laughs> storytelling, if yeah. you're creating yeah, an this environment. This is your thing, man. If you're concerned with environments, one of the first things is that if you are going to draw, master perspective. Master it so that takes takes a year or more of really applying yourself to it so you know how to solve those things. If it's too hard for you, you can do what most people are doing. Learn how to develop environments in a 3D program and it takes care of the perspective for you. Either way, you've got a learning curve ahead of you of the technical control of an environment. That There's going to be a foreground, middle ground, background. When things go back into the environment, they get smaller in a predictable way that it has everything to do with where the camera is. When the camera's in close, it's going to exaggerate that. When the camera's far back, it's going to flatten it out. All that technical stuff is first uh, to, to get your your chops. But then you're also designing a picture. That's composition. That's arranging it so that it has a certain feeling. Study cinematographers for that. Study animation for that. Study how certain pictures give you a certain feel. Perspective and composition are two basics. But there's an, a, a third one. It's that if you are building an environment and building a world for a story, you are a part of the storytelling process. And there are several things about designing environments for story. One is that you may want to think through the logic of this world. If it is a fantasy world, maybe I could just lean instead of leaning away from it. If it's a fantasy world and you have the luxury of designing it, then that would mean you would want to think about the power hierarchy. There was all this stuff that Terrell Whitletch talks about when she has you design creatures. How do they eat? How do they protect themselves from predators? Who do they prey on? All of that stuff becomes a part of the, the milieu, the way this environment works, the politics of it, the fact that the way that the tallest building at one point in Europe would be the, uh, the cathedrals. And then at another point in, uh, in the United States anyway, it wasn't the cathedrals, it was the, the financial institutions. Uh, it might be the political institutions. All of that stuff comes from knowing your world. Go listen to the short bit that Robert McKee does on knowing your environment the way God knows this world. Every detail of it. They want to be free, free to do anything that they want. But of course, the, the, the desire to be free as an artist is one of the most suicidal notions you can have. You do not wish to be free. What you wish is to impose upon yourself creative limitations. 
That is thinking through the world you're designing. But here's what I would add into it. One of the most valuable things about designing an environment for a story is what things in this environment will create trouble for your characters. If there is a wall to protect them, can that wall become something that they need to get through and it's not, it's trapping them? If there is a moat to protect them, is that something that they may need to cross over? If that moat was something they could cross over and the moat goes dry, now you've got trouble for your characters. So to sift through every decision you make and figure how could this create trouble for my character's goals and how could it rescue them? Even I have students go through the four elements. How can water be something that could be trouble for your character or it could be help for your character? Because if you've got water in the air, clouds, fog, it means that you can't see what you need to see. But it also means that uh, you, nobody can see you. You are under cover of things. To do this with fire. Fire can be useful, fire can be dangerous to do this with wind, uh, to do this with uh, earth, that this is something that can, can uh, hide something under the ground, but it also can make it so that I don't know how to find it a few years later when the, all of the foliage is different. All of that earth, air, fire, water, uh, metal, those things that are going into your environment, to think them through for advantage and disadvantage of your characters is a way to design environments specifically for storytelling. Good. I like okay. That. Good. Yeah, I got nothing. Let's have another Charlie. Hello, Stan and Marshall. My name is Elsa. First off, this is my new favorite podcast, and every time Marshall mentions the Coen brothers, I get really happy. <laughs> my question is this. I'm graduating with my illustration degree in a year and a half. Along with being in school full-time, I have a day job and I'm working on personal projects including a couple of graphic novels. I want to get my career going as soon as I can to avoid the clueless hurting after graduation because I feel like unless I get my act together now, I'm going to get depressed in the void after school. Should I be developing my social media or laying it aside to focus on skills? What should I be doing with my incredibly small budget in order to lay the foundations for a career as an illustrator and graphic novel creator? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bye. I like Elsa's question, partly because... I like it's, Elsa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, a, appreciative of what we've done so far. And uh, the question is where to expend energy for uh, networking and getting the skills together and graphic novels and the different skills involved in graphic. Can, can you help us boil down the question to something simple? Yes. Or, what, I where you're expending energy when you have a limited budget and time. Yeah. Limited budget and time, what do we do? Well, t she wants to... She also asked if she should focus on her social media right now. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking that's for you. on getting her skills up. I think that social media is just one small part of your network, though. So you don't need to bring your social... Yeah. You get, have any social media presence at all to have a career. You could apply to... You know, if you're going to work at Pixar, they're not going to see if you have an Instagram. But if you have a network of people that recommend you at Pixar, well, that's useful. Yeah. So make sure that you're thinking about building your network beyond just your social media profile. It's going to be really difficult to build your social media profile. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's just to the point where it actually make helps you to get a job. <laughs> I mean, unless you just fill your profile with a bunch of really cool images and it, it's no, it, but it's not really a social media profile. It's just your portfolio at that point. It's just something you show to impress people with how good you are, but um, totally, it's not for marketing. Yeah, I don't think there's any hurry for the social media. No, but networking, yes. The reason I don't think there's any hurry for the social media is that you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. It's like, yeah, but okay, but social media is out there and the first impression might happen today or it yeah. might happen a year from now. I would say yes, do the social media, but if it takes time away from other things, yeah. then I don't think it's the most important thing. Set up your infrastructure, set up your social media, make sure that all of the bugs are worked out, that you've, you've, you know what you're doing with it. From the time that we did those 1994 lectures of perspective and turned them into MP4s and started selling them, it took us a year and a half to make it so that PayPal would interface with it, that we were playing the, paying the Amazon uh, things. But it was a year and a half before they could even buy it. It's like, that's sticking forever, but it's okay. Once it's done and it's working, now that's, that's working. And so you are, if you're doing your social media and then listening to that podcast we did last year on social media tips and tricks uh, uh, that Stan was sharing. That's the kind of stuff to take notes on and say, I will in the next year or two or three implement this stuff. But when you compare social media with what it was like before social media, I saw, here's an anecdote about uh, students of mine. I saw students go to the Comic-Con who didn't, who were not known. They had no public presence, but they had work and their work got them attention at the Comic-Con where when people looked at their work, <laughs> I saw one instance of it where showing the portfolio and a famous artist looks at it and I watched his face go, whoa, where have you been? If you've got that going, that means that you did not go out on stage to make your first impression and then have to do it again and again and again. Better to have something where you enter the arena and you really have done the work. Not to say that persistence isn't a good thing either. I mean, how, how do you mean? Pers I mean, persistence can be really good. I mean, it can. We have that one story from Cutter Hayes, who we had in a Comic Con uh, episode where the Asking Pros, mm -hmm. uh, where he he was talking about how. He would go to Comic-Con, I think he, he was still just like a student, he, he, he wasn't a professional at all yet, um, and he would, every year, he would show his portfolio to some big comic artist. I don't know who it was anymore, but whatever, it doesn't matter. It was somebody who was there, he was like his hero. Wasn't it uh, Mobius? Yeah. Oh, it was yeah, Mobius. Yeah, it was yes, Mobius. it was Mobius. I remember this, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I forgot Mobius. Um, and he would show, and he did it like seven years in a row. <laughs> And Mobius would always give him a little bit of advice and, and he would, eventually he remembered him and, and then after like seven years, he was like, he pointed across, across to the other booth and was like, go get a job right there, tell him Mobius recommends you. He did it, he got the job. Like, that's persistence. Yes. That's, that, not, that's not first impression. No, that's, that's not first impression. That's, that's long-term impression. Yeah. And the only reason Mobius did that was because this guy kept coming back and he got better mm -hmm. and he's like, now you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he wouldn't have done that for first time. I mean, maybe he would, but mm -hmm. in Cutter's case, it was, it was the persistence that yeah. really, I think, 
hit him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how you get a girl if you're not attractive. <laughs> I don't know. It may be that that used to be the case, but that's something that's now uh no. Persistence? No, oh, no yeah. Now no. it's like you're, you're like, yeah, <laughs> you're being too pushy. Yes. Also, another thing is that you're studying story. You're working on a graphic novel. I've noticed about graphic novels, how hard it is for people to make a living with graphic novels because so many people who buy the graphic novel because they love the artwork and, and they're celebrating the artist seems like it's a smaller market than when a graphic novel really goes big because the story was so involving that you told all your friends not about the, the artwork, but about the feelings you get from this story. And so that is something that on a low budget, you can study and master the basic skills of storytelling. And because there are so many resources out there for storytelling, it can be confusing. So I think what we should do is one episode on what are the fundamentals for a person who's going into any of the storytelling arts. That would be animation, that would be graphic novels, it would be children's books that you author, and everything else, uh, screenplays and, and, and TV scripts and all that kind of thing. Because I do know something about training people in that. And after all of these years, I've seen the last semester that I taught storytelling was just this last year at the junior college. It was about the 80th time that I've taught a full semester on it. I had some of the best students I've ever had, and I learned something over the years. The whole semester is on really basic stuff that has to be practiced, committed to, honed down. We could talk about what that is. It does not take money to do it. It does take a mindset of seeing story in everything, seeing what's interesting in, in a story, and also putting together your favorite stories that you like as stories. They may have artwork that doesn't impress you. They may not be big budget films, but they are stories that gave you feelings to study why that is. That would be something really worth putting your time into and very enjoyable study too. And story is so important in everything. Like it is. It, we live narrative. Yeah. Not just in like a picture or in a movie or a book. Like just story. If you're even just like telling your story when you're applying for a job, you have to have a good story about yourself to, to make an impression. Did I tell you about... The Goodby and Silverstein masterclass where Goodby got the job at the big agency because of his resume? No. He put together a resume that was all factual and true up until the point where you, this company that he's applying to, then you hired me and then here's what happened. And then he, he put that in the resume. Yeah. And then he, he develops a fanciful future history of how many awards he won and how much he did for this. Is it like, re, like ridiculous? Yeah. They knew that he was, <laughs> but they thought that was creative. And the thing is that it wasn't that far from what really would happen when they oh, hired him. So he was a person who would figure, let's start it in fact, and then let's weave it into fancy and make it entertaining enough to where the agency says, we want this guy. 
It's a great way to do it. Just fun. make it a story that, that, yeah. that drew them in. Yeah, but the story he told wasn't actually the story of him in improving. The story he told there was that he's creative, he's funny, yeah, he's he's he stands out. That's the narrative you're telling. So, no, no matter what you're doing, you're telling a story about yourself. That's right. It's just, is it a good one? So you, you pay attention to what story you're presenting yeah. to this person, or and not just hiring anything. Yeah. And the hard work of it is often our inclination toward weaving our story is, is ill-advised. Our incl inclination to say here about this about me, this about this me, this about me is not going to work well. And so to actually take the time to pull back from it and saying, what is my narrative? Mm -hmm. That's work. That's self-criticism. That's readjusting to get more creative with it. Anyway, more on this in the future. Who's a moron? More on this. Don't, you don't know more on this? More on who? <laughs> oh, this is why people tune out. <laughs> this is why people hate you, man. <laughs> okay. This is I'm why people for say question. the stuff they say. <laughs> My body language just changed. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Bumper.com. Buying a car doesn't have to be so intimidating. Bumper.com is here for you, the buyers. With just a few clicks, it can help give you a comprehensive vehicle report that highlights any red flags. So wherever you're buying a car from, whether it's a dealership or a used marketplace, you can go in knowing Bumper.com has your back. Make your car buying experience smoother and smarter. Check out Bumper.com slash podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, this is Doug. Well, I'm in my late 40s trying to resurrect an art career. What would you say about that? Um, my talents are probably, you know, halfway, midway. I know what I want to do, um, but I, I'm kind of uh, enjoying the tone of your podcast. However, I think it's geared more towards the younger audience, which is great. It's uh, entertaining to listen to and informative. However, uh, what would you say to the older artists trying to get their shit together? <laughs> Bleep. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. Yeah, we are geared toward the younger audience yeah. because Most art students the younger are audiences, are, they're starting their careers and they really don't know what to do. And Doug, if you've already had a career and you're on the second wave of it, you've already got a lot of experience and knowledge to do some, some self-evaluation. Uh, but we have talked about this. Uh, we did one episode on reinventing yourself and we did an episode on can you be an artist after 30 or whatever it was that we did in that first season. And th my shortest advice is get out on paper in front of you what you have already developed, what you already have that is in your cache of experience, knowledge, wisdom, grit. What do you already bring to it? And that is an advantage. Yeah. And then figure out what has changed in the world since you, when you were starting out your first wave, 
because you might not be able to do everything this, the same way the second time. You might have to adjust to this new world. Um, and so you, you got to figure out what, what is different, what do you need to learn, and how do you change yourself to fit into this and stand out now. And you've got favorite artists. You've got people whose careers you admire. And if you comb through those, those and say, this one changed, 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 changed. Uh, I've mentioned it several times, but this 15 hours on country music in Ken Burns' documentary, uh, which I've always felt on the outside of country music, but I'm going to watch the whole thing again someday with students because it is a spotlight on probably 50, 60, maybe up to 90 careers. Even some of them are just a, a, a moment to allude to these careers. And so much of this music, people were poor, they got rich, they lost their career, but some of them reinvented. Some of them entered an arena they didn't belong in at all. They were not from the country. They were from the city. They were just not part of that group, but they wrote some of the most popular songs, but they were not necessarily the ones who performed the songs. They were country musicians. You start to see how the music world works, how it's worked for the last hundred years in the US, and you start to see people have comebacks with their careers. The Johnny Cash one, was very um, moving and very interesting to see the trajectory of his career to go up and down and then up again and then down and then to end on an up. Now, not that it's necessarily that you study music careers, that's just on my mind, but that kind of thing happens in all sorts of artistic careers. So when you've got touchstones of people who did it when they were older, now go back and watch the, the episode where we really address that. And I'd probably say some of the same things in there that I just mentioned. I think the key word there that you said is they reinvented themselves. Yeah. Because sometimes having a lot of experience in, you know, a few decades ago might actually hurt you. That's right. It could. It you could. have to reinvent, you have to figure out what do I need to change about myself to fit into the new system Yeah, you know, and not just look like an old dude trying to yeah. fit in. <laughs> but isn't reinvention, when you see it done well, isn't it thrilling? I remember that when my son was seven, eight, nine, ten, vinyl was gone forever. I remember there was, you couldn't buy vinyl. Everybody was trying to get rid of vinyl. And I had a really expensive vinyl turntable that was, I'd put a lot into it and I pulled it out of the garage and I put a record on, I put the needle down on it to show him. And I remember the look on his face was, wow, he could hear the, the little vibrations that are coming from the needle as well as from the, uh, from the speaker. I said, this is the way we used to listen to all of our music. And there was something exciting about that it was a different medium. And then 10, 15 years later, or maybe more than that, Vinyl has now made a comeback. It's a strange thing, but there is something very exciting about yeah. it. Yeah, there is a benefit to being part of a, a different thing is that, yeah, you can bring certain things back, but you have to know how to fit it into the new thing. You can't just bring it back and be stuck in your old ways and think it's going to work again. You, you got to re redo it in a new way. And, and, and luck is part of it, but it isn't all yeah. luck. Willie Nelson had a career as a musician. Uh, at least partly in Nashville. And if you know the first half of Willie Nelson's career, he would have never caught my attention. He was, he was nasally, he was, you know, he was a country musician. And somewhere in his middle age, 
he negotiated a contract. There was a forerunner to him, a younger guy, Waylon Jennings, who didn't like the Nashville sound where it was no longer country. It was all polished, moved to Texas uh, and put a studio in a house. So you're going from these Nashville, beautiful air conditioned studios that are all glorious. You got this dumpy house, all this equipment put in there. It looks like everybody's sweating in there, but they were young people making music that was really country. And he had enough success to negotiate with a record company and say, I'm going to control my own album and the executives aren't going to call the shots. And they had to give it to him. So they gave it to him. Willie Nelson does the same thing and he wants to call the shots and they all, all the executives said, okay, we're going to let him have it, but he's going to fail. And he, he reinvented his career and Willie Nelson is a cooler old guy than he ever was as a young guy. <laughs> so anyway, whether musicians, whether, whether uh, people, actors, oh gosh, another one is Boris Karloff. Uh, who played the mummy and Frankenstein in those universal films and then was just a joke after that. And then when he's getting older, probably closer to 50, uh, he gets cast by a producer who didn't want him, but figured this guy is good looking on film and he did his best work. Was uh, he typecast you know, before? Yeah, is that he why? was typecast. Yeah, but see, so that's, yeah, he was typecast. He couldn't get roles. And mm. then when he got older, he was a different person. And so yeah. now he's not, he can't, he's not typecast to that other guy anymore because yeah. he's someone new. Uh, yeah, yeah I guess what I'm saying is that there is some excitement when you see it done over and over and over. And you say, there, there's no reason that it could not happen with me, but I need to give it some thought. And it's like with that Derek Johnson book, Hitmakers. It's not all in my control, but I can be watching for what do I have to offer that I would not have had to offer. When I was young, there's some politician who said that when he was a younger politician, he made it in politics because he was new blood. He was fresh blood. He had a fresh take. He had a young person's take. Yeah. And then when he didn't have that anymore, he said, I've got experience. I know how the world works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I hope that helped, Doug. Doug. Go get him, Doug. Hey, guys. My name is Dylan. I'm a like eight-year veteran, I guess you could say, in the... Uh, Concept art and games, and I have a question for you. Um, big fan of the podcast, by the way. I've been uh, following Proco for a long time and um, been listening to the podcast since it started, and I've really been enjoying it. Um, but anyway, I, I find myself caught in kind of like a loop or like a cycle uh, that has a really long arc, and I'm having some trouble trying to navigate my way out of it. So long story short, I went to school at the Art Institute here in Seattle, uh, which is now, the whole chain is closed. Uh, the school had all these problems with fraudulent statistics and fixing their numbers to get more students and whatnot. And uh, I got caught up in all that, uh, graduated in 2011. And so I went to this school that did not have a focus on community or um teaching people the right skills or anything like that. It was all about making money. So at the end of the day, I kind of left. I did graduate, um, and, I, and I started doing really well uh, in school. And then as I realized this was kind of a scam, I started to do less well. Uh, and now, I, you know, I find myself in a career where um, the opportunities that I might have gotten from school are not there. The advantages that people talk about with the community and whatnot, they're just like not really there for me. And I find myself trying to break into an industry that is um, very competitive and very challenging. And, you know, I have a lot of 
skill. I've learned a ton. I've committed very deeply to um, furthering my practice, but I just cannot really break in. So I'm wondering if there's anything you guys would offer me in terms of advice of how I could um, reach beyond that um, and, you know, maybe what I'm doing wrong. I'm not really sure what to what to do next. Um, all right. Thanks a lot. I hope you're having a nice day. Bye. This is a whole other season of podcasts for someone else to host. We get this so often that how do I have a career? How do I get known? How do I network? It's everything we've been talking about. I know. It's the combination of all the stuff. It's a very general question. Yeah. And there's no way we could answer that not knowing, not seeing your portfolio. Yeah. Or not, you know, spending some time with you, figuring out why you can't get things moving. Because some people just start immediately, hit the ground running. They did a bunch of stuff right. Some people just can't get it going. They're doing a bunch of stuff wrong. <laughs> I don't know what that he, is for you. But he needs help, yeah. And, he, yeah. and he's asking a question that has been asked so often. At the end yeah. of our, our pricing episode, I mentioned that the only person I knew who contributed a lot for me getting my career started was Maria Piscopo. I contacted her. She is retired. We, we need someone who is a resource. We need someone who is a resource who takes you through a year of lessons on how to market your art. I'm not the person who can tell you other than what we've already talked about here. I don't know that I have new stuff. Figure out what narrative you're telling about yourself and change it. The AI thing I'm sorry about. The AI thing? Oh, did he say art stuff about it? Yeah, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were talking about artificial <laughs> intelligence. Like, did he talk about AI? <laughs> Oh, that's what? right. Yeah, it's two different AIs. Yeah, 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 in my world, AI is I understand. artificial intelligence. That other AI is dead to me. The other AI left a lot of shrapnel and, and damaged a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if it's the skills you're lacking because you didn't get it from that school, you, you're probably going to have to get them somewhere else. Right? Yeah. I, well, I, according, I missed according to him, like he's, he's confident in his skills. Yeah. Okay. Compared to, I mean, okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I'd have to see. Let's put it on pause for a moment. I want to, I want to do something. I, I also feel like this is the kind of question that would be great for a call-in show. Kind of. It thing. would be. I would, I would talk to him. Like, yo, bro, do you suck? <laughs> yeah. Show us your work. How yeah. do the interviews go? How many times have you been to a job interview? If there's anybody watching this podcast and your expertise is marketing artists. You've got a lot of people who are interested in what you have to offer. There should be something like a, like an art agent or something that gets people jobs. Who is public enough, charismatic enough, committed enough, and this is what I'm doing now is I'm helping people get their career started. And with all the frankness that a person like that will naturally have, agents get known for being harsh and brutal because they get so many wannabes. Barbara Gordon used to write the a CA magazine uh, column on what reps and agents have to deal with. And she was very <laughs> frank in that, that we just get people who aren't qualified. So the frankness of a, of a potential rep or agent or person who can usher you into the paying jobs is something you pay attention to, to adjust accordingly. If you want a career, there's been something we've talked about. You might not want a career. 
We're just saying, if you need a career, or excuse me, if you can help people with careers, enter the market. Let us know who you are. Let's keep going. Hello there, Stan, Yo. Mr. Vandruff. Love the podcast. My name's Ben. I feel like I'm talking. Listener, first time caller. Hey, I wanted to ask you all about receiving positive feedback. Uh, so going through school, I have a... I've received an awful lot of negative feedback, and I feel like I can take it like a champ. But whenever I get positive feedback, it's always thrown me off guard, and I end up giving just a really awkward thank you and coming across as a bit of a D-wad. But uh, I was wondering how uh, if this, how to overcome that. If this is a, a problem that you've ever faced, uh, how did you get over it? Thanks, guys. Love, again, love the podcast. Uh, y'all have a good one. Well, you're a loser. You know? Whoa! You. I can't give him what he's comfortable I can't, with. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to make him comfortable before we talk to him. <laughs> that was kind of harsh. That was well, not that's a, what he wants. That was not a criticism of what I've done. That was a criticism on his being. <laughs> oh, sorry. Come on. Sorry, you man. That. No, I don't know you. Sound like a nice dude. But see, now I'm making him uncomfortable. He's probably like, I'm not that nice, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What was the question? question is, it was, how do you deal with <laughs> the fact feedback? that you're uncomfortable with compliments? Well, no, I mean, I, I get it. Like, what do you say? You get a compliment. I get that all. I, I, I'm uncomfortable with compliments. Mm -hmm. I get them all the time. <laughs> all day long. No, like you, you go somewhere and people look at your stuff and, and, you know, they are not artists, but, you know, they like art. Like, oh my God, you're amazing and all this stuff. And it's like, um, thanks. Like, what, what are you supposed to say? Like, I know I worked hard. Like, I'm not that good. Like, do you start talking yourself down and be, be like, realistic with them? It's like, well, I'm kind of good, but, like, there's thousands of people that are better than me. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you supposed to say? Somebody, I don't know. Somebody gave an answer to this many years ago, and I don't even know who it was, but it made sense because I understand the phenomenon. But the answer was acknowledge the compliment, say thanks, and move right on. Yeah. Yeah. That's the... the Let's just get it out of the way. Thank you. Thank you. That, that, that I appreciate that. But it's still awkward. Awkward. It it's is It's still awkward. awkward. I don't think you can make it not awkward. Every time they start, I'm just like, I, I, how do I get out of this? <laughs> I had a teacher this, in junior college. I really college. hope this doesn't last long. Like, let's talk about something more interesting than this. <laughs> I had a teacher in junior college. He was in, in the uh, theater department. Well, I took every class I could take from him because I admired him so much. I just wanted to be in his presence. Uh, and years later, when I started teaching there, I asked him if I could take him out to lunch. And one of the things I wanted to tell him is you have had more of an influence on me for good than you can ever know. And I, I wanted to tell him that. So we met out in front of the restaurant and I started to make the speech. He said, that's really nice of you. Thanks. And let's, let's go in. And he did not want to talk about it any yeah. more. You're wasting his, you'll like, come that's here right. real quick. Let's go outside yeah. and talk. And we and we ended up having what? a very good conversation, but it was not about, about something how, more about interesting. something else. Yeah. Yes. Not what an influence you've had on me. 
<laughs> I wasn't trying to have an influence on you. Right. So I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Say thanks. I don't know, man. I don't. I, I, I feel the same way you do. Um, I feel like uh, you commiserating with him will be okay. Great. That's you. You are correct, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, there's another thing. Be thankful that yeah. some people no. like it. It's like when there's so many people who do not like us or do not like our work, and no, then you I find never, out that I'm there never are some like, who do. I am thankful that they are giving me compliments, mm -hmm. but I am just trying to. I am not interested in that conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying not to hurt their feel. I don't want to hurt their feelings. It's not to prolong. Because like, they're being nice to me. Yeah. I don't want to make it obvious that I'm feeling awkward. Because I don't want them to feel awkward because they're trying to be nice. So, so a, I just like battle through it. A little good feeling and then move right on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Something we haven't done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait, what? I mean, we, we're, we're, we're elaborating on this question. Too long. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Next. Marshall, you're really good. You're wonderful. I was thinking how awesome you are. Yeah. I'm always <laughs> yeah. pleasure yeah. to talk to you all the time. So we glad that really, we're doing really, this really podcast admire for a long time. each other. It's just a what a joy. We're, we're just gonna keep doing this, right? No. Hey Stan Marshall. Uh, big fan of the podcast. Uh, I got a question about inspiration. When an artist becomes inspired to create an original work of art, do you think they should feel an obligation to record the source of what inspired them, whether it's for posterity or secondhand inspiration or just to protect themselves from claims of it being stolen or something like that? Uh, let me know what you think this habit. Thanks a lot. I'm not sure I understand, though, whether this is when you are influenced by someone, you're inspired by another artist or filmmaker or writer or whatever creative person, whether you should acknowledge it. I don't think, he, did he say someone or just something? Something, yeah. Something. Like whatever you're, is the genesis for what, a, what you're working on. Yeah. You got the idea somehow. Something happened to give you this idea about something. Do you record it so you don't forget? Um, I don't know. I don't understand the whole thing about protecting it from being stolen. I yeah, don't see yeah. how writing I, it... I think he's saying that uh, if if someone accuses you of having stolen the idea, <laughs> oh. or like you you've recorded like, uh, but I I, uh, I recorded it here. Like I I don't know how that would nah, help. You but... could fake that. <laughs> yeah, for I sure. <laughs> I wrote this down. Wow, <laughs> I didn't steal it. <laughs> no, but I don't know if you if you're the type that likes to record things, then go ahead. Sure. I like recording stuff. I like keeping records of things. If the concern is whether somebody's going to steal or sue, that... I mean, there are uh, there are several things. Yeah, uh, that was just longevity. one of many. Yeah, he listed like three things of reasons why. I mean, yeah, it feels posterity. like you, it, it seems like you want to record the genesis of your ideas. So go go ahead. <laughs> why not? I don't keep a journal. Journaling is great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you ever had to do a deposition, or if you're doing uh, if you're doing this to protect yourself, then yes, document everything. But now everything is documented. You know, no, you, not everything. Well, but when anything you put on social media, it's proof that you Wait, did that. Do you at that put time. everything on social media? No, but if you've got the original piece of paper media. and you've got a date on it, and if you can, uh, if you've got the files, the scans that you made are going to have dates embedded. Scans in them. of what? Your ideas from yeah. that day? I mean, no. Well, okay, but here's the thing. If it's a concern about protecting yourself, that 
I came up with this I don't idea think, this time. I don't think that's what, what he was saying. Okay. Where, how do we answer this? What's, what, what, what would be valuable? I just did. If you feel like you want to record it, go ahead. Yeah. And then the thing for posterity, what was the one in the middle? You want to go back over it? What kind of inspiration? Secondhand inspiration. So like maybe uh, to go back to the same well, to like use oh. the inspiration to yeah. make a different piece. Yeah. I think the, <laughs> the writing things down can be helpful. Just the fact of writing down your thoughts of like what came the, you know, what inspired you to come up with this idea in that moment, not even secondhand ideas, but in that moment, you could develop your ideas even further just by writing down your thought process and all that stuff. I wouldn't put much energy into for posterity. I wouldn't put much energy into that because then you're thinking so far ahead that this is going to be legendary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like someone's going to tell my story and this is going to be really useful. (laughs) Get the the dates on there and that's enough. (laughs) It's going to help people write that biography about me. There's something, seems something self-defeating about saying this will go down in history. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're focused on that versus, you know, creating something awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You're too focused on what people will think about you versus about what you think of your work and what, not what, maybe not what you think of your work, but just on, on making something you think is good. On the work, yeah. Yeah. Hi, Stan and Marshall. I'm Michelle, and my questions are about uh, drawing preferences when it comes to choosing material. When it comes to using graphite, charcoal, or a combo of the two, uh, are there trade-offs uh, when picking which to use that you think about? And can you give any advice for someone who's going from graphite to charcoal? Thank you. Graphite and charcoal don't mix well together, in my experience. Do you have a feeling about the graphite versus charcoal thing? I think they are beautiful together. Do you really? Gorgeous. How? Which one do you put down first? Charcoal. <laughs> and then you put graphite over the top of it and it digs down into it? Yeah. Pulls it down, sort of like a sealer? Kind of. Not really. I mean, it's... <laughs> you know, I don't... I never have a thick layer of the charcoal. It's... Big general gradations of charcoal applied with a brush... Um, sometimes even wet, and then you can put graphite on top for the details. Charcoal is great for that kind of stuff. You can you can paint with it. You can use the side of the pencil and smudge it more. It's much softer. You know, graphite is a lot better for details. Doesn't smudge as much. Stays down. Stays easier. Down. If you yeah. sneeze, it doesn't make a difference. No. You can get in trouble trying to mix the two. They they don't mix. If you just keep layering over and over, like you're using one or the other and all that, but you can use them in the same drawing. Yeah. But I, um, a lot of my graphite drawings have a layer of charcoal underneath. Okay. Yeah. It's sort of like the problem of opaque and transparent paint in the same picture. There needs to be an awareness that they can become a hodgepodge of, I'm not balancing them. I'm not contrasting them yeah. well. That's just the craft part of it, though. Yeah. Knowing your tools, experimenting enough to know, oh, don't do that again. Yeah. Yeah, graphite is so silver. It's so reflective. It's, so, it's got such a sheen. Yeah, Charcoal I've never so been too worried black. about... Well, not never, but pretty quickly I realized that with, with most graphite drawings, you're going to put a piece of glass over it, frame it, 
and then the glass is going to reflect even more. <laughs> so if you're looking at the graphite drawing from an angle where the glass doesn't reflect the light, well, then the graphite also doesn't reflect the yeah. light. So it looks fine. There was but. an editorial artist, Jerry Gersten, who everybody thought his stuff was pen and ink, but all it was was graphite, but yet he'd put it on a copy machine so it would go from the silvery look to where it looked like it was black like ink and he was tight enough with it to where it had a, a, a quality like that. But the thing with graphite is you can't make it truly black, but you don't need to for reproduction. You can always make it truly black in Photoshop. Well, that's if you want to have a, a better digital version of it, but if, right. if it's... If it's just, the original. Yeah. Well, you might also want to experiment with powdered graphite. Uh, I think Chris Van Allsburg in his first book, Jumanji. Wait, why? What do you do the graphite? You, graphite? The graphite, the powdered graphite works like an airbrush. You can put powdered graphite and make really beautiful, smooth gradations. Well, that's what I do with the charcoal powder. Okay, and then go over the top of it with, with, with uh, well, yeah, you can put graphite on graphite, but then you don't have the problem of one being black and one being shiny. If you use powdered no. graphite. charcoal, powdered charcoal, mm -hmm. you cannot tell mm -hmm. because the charcoal powder will never get black. Okay. Unless you, uh, you, you know, if it's with water and all that, but you, I, I could show you some, you, you want me to get one? Sure. It's right there. What Stan said, experimenting around, if you're, if you're going to do this as a medium for your work, you want to put at least a few hours, maybe maybe 10 or 20 hours into experimenting around with what you do. Okay, so this is this is not charcoal, is it? Show it's the camera. Both. It's both. That's um, okay. This is the one. We'll do yeah, it's covered with glass, but, but yeah, I have to scan um, it. This is charcoal powder and then eraser. Wow, okay. And then a lot of the stuff on top, that's graphite on top of a layer of gradation okay. of charcoal. Yeah. A lot of the super soft gradations in here are, are really kind of broad charcoal gradations with some detail on top of it. Yeah, tremendous control over value though. That's all charcoal. Okay. When the, where you see the strokes, that's graphite, okay. but under it is... Okay, well, you, you did a better job with it than that. I... There's no like, yeah. That's no distinction. Harsh. Yeah. Yeah. You did a better job with it than I imagined was likely to be done. Well, you know, because those you, two media, it, it, if you if you know the tools, yeah, and where you can get in trouble with it, you can control it right up to the point before you get in trouble. There you go. There you go. <laughs> What's next? That's it. Cool. That's it. That's the last voicemail of the season. Okay. Wow. Okay, we did it. Are you happy it's the last one? I'm happy enough. <laughs> happy enough for what? I mean, you know, we've got other things to do. And okay. we answered pretty much every we question. That things to do. We, have, we have done our best to answer a lot of the same questions over and over. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. You're very happy. I can tell. Your smile just can't go away. You're not in control anymore of that face. No, it's just emotion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. See you okay. next time. Bye. See ya.